roughly about how much in debt? About 1.3 million. Yeah, there you go. Right? <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure for some people that's going to sound terrible, but I love hearing that actually. I, I know, and I'm like, and counting. Everybody's like, I'm trying to get out of debt. I'm like, I'm trying to get in debt, but yes. <laughs> Welcome to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Looking to overcome your fears, create extra income, invest while you work, become a successful investor, and enjoy a better lifestyle? You're in the right place. Turn your investing dreams into your investing reality. You'll learn why investing is important, the importance of knowing when to move on, and everything in between. You're about to get exclusive access to an investor's mindset. Now, here's your host, Vikan Backrad. Hey guys, this is VCAM Backride, your host. Today we have an amazing speaker. Her name is Elizabeth Cole Grove. She has acquired eight houses and she's under 30 years old, obtained $1.3 million in debt. Her expertise in owning rental properties. Rental properties is one of the most classic strategies for real estate investing. Over time, you can build up a portfolio of cash flowing assets. And as years and decades go by, You'll be sitting on a huge amount of equity that someone else has paid off for you. Hi, Elizabeth. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Elizabeth, would you mind tell us how you got started in real estate? Well, my husband is active duty, so we move around a lot. So we got started because we knew we wanted to own our own home, but we knew that a 30-year mortgage is a 30-year commitment, and our orders don't last that long. So for us to own our own home, we had to be willing to rent it out. So in the process of figuring out that, we quickly realized that we could buy a house at every duty station, plus some, as my husband will tell you, and then be able to rent them out for a profit and have someone else pay them off, kind of like little business baskets. Makes perfect sense. Did you get started by reading any books, or did you have any difficulties when you got started? I think all of us have had difficulties when we've gotten started. Um, so, good or bad, I uh, grew up with a parent with family that had one rental property my entire life. So, you know, I have memories as young as eight. You know, going through the property to see what they left behind as you know a scavenger hunt. So it's not that I didn't understand the concept, but it's very different when you understand what a lease is and like what the process is and are used to like hearing the phone call rings when it's turnover time to like doing it yourself. So we've had so many lessons learned. I mean, from knowing how to do a background and credit check to like writing a lease. But book-wise, I think a lot of when I got started, there wasn't... I didn't know about all of these resources, so mine was the hard knocks of learning. So you had to get your feet wet and actually learn it for yourself, whereas other people nowadays, they have the luxury of reading someone else's experience and learning from yeah. it so they can prevent it. And I mean, I totally read like Rich Man, Poor Man, and like, or Rich Man, Poor Dad, and like all of those books, and they're very good. Um, you know, Susie Orman, um, Dave Ramsey, they're great, great reads on financial, but, like, the resources that, like, you offer and I offer Reluctant Landlord and Bigger Pockets and Mr. Money Mustache and 
all of those like resource guides that didn't exist when I got started or I didn't know about them should I restate so we learned a lot of that the hard way makes perfect sense makes perfect sense okay so what was one of your biggest challenges that you had to deal with when you first got started any big hurdle that you had that you had to get over yeah I think the biggest hurdle was learning how to treat it like a business right like we all want to be this nice person and think that if we're nice, life will be nice and life goes on, right? Well, that that wasn't my experience. My experience was the nicer I was, the more I got burned. The more I strict I was and on a lease and kept everything very business-like, the better things got. Like our first three tenants broke the lease and moved out early and really well, we don't have, like, the TV-worthy stories. I mean, it was really ulcer-inducing at 23 on one income. So creating a 20-page lease, background and credit checking it through a program, having a strategy, and it's like, oh, you want to move out early? Well, look at page five on the lease, and that's the answer. And not having to re-come up with the, the wheel, that saved our sanity. Those are lessons that we learned really hard, really fast. And now it's really made things a lot easier. Makes perfect sense. So you have to plan ahead of time so you know exactly what to do when something comes up. Yes. And that should be in your lease. Your lease should be guide, your guide. You shouldn't be recreating it. You should be having it all written down. And how did you come up with that guide? Was that the experience that you got over time that you were able to build that? Or was it something that you pulled online and then like a template and then you created your own version of it? I would say a mixture of both. I certainly am a huge believer that you should start off with like easy landlord or legal zoom or you know a backbone but that's not enough. No, no landlord that I have have created like a selling like their, their hard lease right. So then you need to go and add to it whether it's the you know hard knocks of life like myself whether you buy like my book that has all of my stuff in it that you can just plug and chug and figure out what works best for you, whether you go on the forums and add to it as you see issues. The reality is you need to cover everything. And you know, even myself, I add to my lease monthly because you can't cover everything because things change. World evolves. So you got to evolve with it and your lease. So you must be always willing to adjust to the new, to the new market. There's always something new out there and you have to be willing to adjust to it. I feel like it's very important nowadays to be flexible. Well, and I think, you know, I think the salty landlords like you and myself who have been doing this for a little bit, I think sometimes we have we're almost at a disadvantage, right? So you and I came up in the recession where we could buy houses and foreclosures and they were at the low of the market and we were all excited and, and got started and kept going. Well, now that market doesn't exist. Um, so now we need to reevaluate and make sure that we're either like holding or buying or being smart. So I think the only difference between a beginner and a salty landlord is A, the number of times we've done this, and B, the properties we own. But the knowledge that we have about the market, we're kind of at the same regards because we both have to figure out how we're going to persevere in each new market, whether it's a high, a low, a middle, a, and whatever tax laws are going on. Correct. 
That's a perfect point of view that you brought up. I would love to know how you identify that for yourself. When do you identify that we're in a better market or we're in a not very stable market or if there's a crash coming? When do you identify that for yourself? Well, as we all know, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? And when we all love that crystal ball. Um, so since you don't get that crystal ball, for me, it's all about figuring out what a strategy is. So when we talked again about like talking about getting started in books and stuff, like I read everything at 21 when I was unemployed before I went to grad school when we first got married and I liked the philosophies, but the thing that I didn't see was like any like statistical formula or like financial analytical data. And I'm a, I was a financial analyst as training at a college. So what I did in 2012, 2013, when we moved to a new area, was I evaluated how everybody lost their shirt in their crash. And so for me, I came up with as long as you could always rent your house out for a profit, no matter the market, it wouldn't matter because the rents pretty much kept the same, so you would be fine. So for us, like right now, we're living on a boat because our current market doesn't make sense based on our views. So our view is if we can rent the house out for a two to three hundred dollar profit after our mortgage and escrow before our variable costs will buy. If it doesn't, we don't. So I think the key for you is it doesn't matter what the bus what the market's doing, high, low, middle. You need to identify what your criteria is. And then you should use that criteria over every market. And when that makes sense, you buy. When it doesn't make sense, you don't. Now obviously it is very important that you reevaluate the market and make sure that you're adapting. But at the end of the day, you don't want to ever be like, oh my gosh, I haven't bought in 15 months. I have to buy. No, you want to have your analyst, your numbers, and know what you're looking for so that when you see a market show those indicators, you can buy. Okay, absolutely. And now that you have gotten to a little bit of your own strategy, would you mind going more in detail? What is your strategy and what is your criteria? So we self-manage from anywhere. So for us, it's all about what area makes the biggest, the most sense. So our strategy is to put as little into the house as possible and make at least two to three hundred dollars a house. Two to two to three hundred dollars for each house. Yes. Perfect. Okay, that makes sense. If the idea is we buy high-level homes, like at least Class B, Class A, for young professionals, so they're paying off the home. They're typically newer, so there's not as much expenses. So the idea is that they pay off the house, and that for me, for the sheer ability to handle the house, aka manage it, they're paying off my loan. Okay. Is this something that someone with a small capital uh, like a low capital that they can start with or does this require on more of like a lot of funds we've started with pretty much no funds so it's a very low capital strategy the idea is that you buy your house to raise your family right so whether you're right out of college you get married whatever your family is whether it's you know just you whether it's you and your cat whether it's you and your three cats like we're at right now or it's you and your kids, that's your starter home. But as you grow, so does your family. So what we did was we bought a house, we lived in it, and then when we left, we rented it out. So we bought the house zero down. Then the next house, we were able to use the rest of that zero down loan and buy another one. Then we put 5% down. So the idea isn't that you have, you know, $50,000 to come in. 
the idea is that you have a very small amount and that you work it up and over time you acquire buildings, acquire houses, and that someone else is paying them off. Okay, that makes perfect sense. I can see your point of view of how you're going around these houses. Okay, would you mind telling us how you would go ahead and find a like a property today? Like what would your procedure or your like step-by-step -step be to find a house and rent it out today? So if I, uh, okay, so first I would identify the market. Um, can I rent out to the demographic of people that I am looking for for my two to $300 profit for as little down as possible? Because remember, you can buy a house in San Francisco for a million dollars, and if you pay cash for it, it will always work, right? But that's not the point. The point is to put as little down. So can you make that same house in San Francisco work at 0%? Probably not. So you need to make sure that the house will rent out at your goal. And then you go to Zillow, Trulia, Cozy, etc., and you list your house for rent. And then you screen them. And then you write your lease by, you can either, like, look at my book, you can go online and look at the various forums, you can think about everything that could go on in your house and put it in your lease, and you can download a backbone from any of the sites like LegalZoom, Easy Landlord, etc. Then once you've created your lease and you've screened them, you choose the best tenant, you want at least three times rent, you want their social security number, so if you have to file, um, go to court, you can. You want to check their pay stubs and not just see what they say they're making, but what are they actually making. And then you want a copy of their license so you prove who they are, right? You want an ID. And then you install the tenants, right? Like you do a, a walkthrough. They send you any list with any issues at the house within three days, and you're done. Obviously, this is an oversimplification, but that's kind of how you do it. Is that the similar process that you do if you're doing out of state? Yep. Pretty much. I'm a huge believer of like going to that state. So like, for example, we're looking, we've looked at a couple of places. Like last year we looked at um, Columbia, South Carolina. So a friend was like, you have to come see this area. So we came, saw it. We put an offer on a property. We did the inspection. We checked the zoning. The zoning, because it was a foreclosure and it was a duplex and they let the duplex lapse and didn't file the correct paperwork, it no longer worked because it was now a single family home and we backed out. So again, it's checking all of the facts, right? Like, okay, the numbers work, but does my zoning allow it to do what I want it to do? And then you keep going. That makes a perfect point. And the reason why I asked that question is because some of the books, they state actually you don't even need to go to the house <laughs> and see it and you can go off of the numbers, which goes exact opposite of what you said. And I feel like that's the right way that you can get the numbers and see that it's great then you could take the step forward to actually go see it in person, and then you can make that decision. I don't believe that you should buy anything without flying out. If, it, if you can't spend $1,000 to fly out and pay, you know, rental car, hotel costs, and all of that, you have no business buying an $80,000 asset. Or liability, depending on how it goes. So, like, I actually, my delay with you earlier today was I flew out to look um, at, a, at some places in Kansas. And the numbers were great. Honest to gosh, they blew my mind on some of the houses I looked at. 
but the properties weren't for me. It wasn't the kind of landlording I wanted to do. It wasn't the demographic that I specialized. It, it just wasn't what I wanted to do. And I would never have known that if I just looked at the numbers. I mean, $2,800 a month for a $600 mortgage and $30,000 down, sign me up, right? But you need to figure out what your brand of landlording is, what you want to do. And then once you have all of that, you need to personally walk your properties and make sure that that is what you want to deal with. Because numbers only work if your tenants pay rent. And if you can make them pay rent. So to give you an example, I've always dealt with much smaller margins, but my tenant, I've never been to court to take a tenant, knock on wood. But I had a friend that was telling me these amazing numbers that he had had. And then I asked him how often he had vacancy. He had had 50 to 75% vacancy much of his career. So yes, when he dealt with these lower section eight and it completely rented, sure, he made a, like, amazing volumes but the reality of how many times he hit that wasn't as often and consistent as my property so it's all of what you're comfortable with and how did you identify that for yourself i, I mean i can see the right criteria that you set up for yourself that once you see it if it's the right criteria you will say yes to it if it's wrong then you're out of there but how did you identify that that's your criteria? Was there something that assisted you to get there? Or was it the experience over time you kind of found out, you know, this works for me, this doesn't, this works here, maybe I should not look at this? How did you build up that criteria for yourself? I think that's a really personal decision based on, like, what your personal circumstances allow. So, for example, myself, our criteria is we don't care where the houses are located, right? And that really scares a lot of people to not have everything in their immediate town. But my husband's active duty. So we quickly figured out that, like, we move a lot so we could buy a lot of personals. Okay, so that made that easy. Then we also realized that we both worked dual income. So we had the money to save up for a larger down payment. We wanted less headache properties. So that was, like, another criteria. We also quickly figured out that, like, I handle everything. So as, you know, a female, I, I had to always be able to handle the houses and the tenants, not at their best, but at their worst. So I always had to feel comfortable, right? So that put another criteria. So when you went through, like, all of our personal wickets, it kind of created our own plan of what worked best for us, right? So... What works for us isn't going to work with someone who lives in New York City because they're going to have very different criteria or someone who lives in, like, small-town Texas where they can buy all their houses at $50,000 each, but their clientele is going to be very different. So we developed it based on our unique tools and what we brought to the, brought to the table and what then would make us successful. Absolutely. You had to go through the hurdles and know exactly what's the best for you and now you have the right criteria and you can easily make the decision either you're gonna pursue this or you know what walk away from it I think you know I I think of real estate a lot of like Candyland right you know where you're starting and you know where you're ending but you don't know all the shoots and ladders and the wiggles and the waggles and everything else so you can't ever shut a door without examining it right so some of the property that we're really interested in right now I almost didn't want to go see it it was just not my gig, and it ended up being my gig. So the thing I will say is 
my best properties that have totally worked out have been my long shots, but my long shots have my least probability to, to succeed. So real estate, you are going to try, 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 try and fail. Not necessarily in losing money, but in losing time. And that's okay because you don't want to lose money. So you need to make sure that you look at every situation and figure out what works for us for you. And then understand that your first deal success rate and your 10th deal success rate aren't going to be the same. you got to start somewhere. you got to walk that path. you got to learn. you got to fall down the chutes. you got to take the ladders. you got to do everything. And then when you do, you'll figure out what works best for you. And remember, it's not what works best for me. It's not what works best for anybody else. It's what works for you. And that's when you talk to real estate investors you'll see that we all have a very individual niche. And when you ask us about how our niche came to be, it usually, we stumbled into it. And somehow or another. You're very passionate about this. I can definitely tell from your voice. Real estate has been the best thing that has ever happened to my family financially. It has also had some of the biggest ulcer-inducing moments I've ever experienced in my life. But the thing that you've got to remember at the end of the day is it's no more than anything else that's rewarding in your life, whether being married, whether having a child, whether getting a degree. I mean, we all have those moments. So you can't go into real estate thinking it's going to be one thing because it's not. I mean, five years ago, if you asked me what I was going to be doing in real estate, I would have told you we would have owned all of our houses in Charleston, South Carolina, had an fantastic property manager and looked at the stuff once a year when they sent all of our tax returns. We own eight houses and four, three different states are looking at a fourth and a fifth right now. I self-manage all of my properties, have from day one, and I submit all the paperwork to the tax people. <laughs> so, but I'm successful and that's what's important. Absolutely. That's what keeps you pushing forward and wanting to have a better life for yourself makes perfect sense I did want to go out and ask what do you think was holding you back to become an investor I mean now that you're successful you're there you're not giving up you're now actually pushing forward to get even more properties but what do you think in the beginning was holding you back to become an investor well, we got started in 2011 right so that was the time period that no one bought everybody couldn't was losing their shirt and so therefore was very Debbie Downer. So for us, it was getting over that stigma of owning. We didn't even tell anybody that we owned one, let alone pretty much five, um, in the beginning because when we mentioned to someone that we bought our own house, not that we own rentals, that we owned our personal home that we were living in, we got chewed out and told that was going to be the worst decision we made in our lifetime. So what you need to know and think about and remember is it's, what works for you. It doesn't matter anybody else. It's not anybody else's experiences. It's what works for you. So buy based on your desires, what works for you, not based on the everybody's scared response or everybody's positive response. I mean, we're out here in Anacortes, Washington, and I see often on forums the new beginners, buy, buy, buy. It doesn't make, this, it make sense to rent. We're living on a boat because as an investor, I won't buy. The market doesn't make sense. So you need to buy or enter real estate based on what you think is the best idea and decision and not those around you. 
Makes sense. Get your own feet wet. That's really important. I feel like that that's really important for you to get your feet wet and know what's right for you. Finding your own criteria is like literally hitting home run. But it takes time and you have to fall so many times like you were saying earlier in order to find that criteria and stumble upon it. Well, not just that, but at the end of the day, the best financial decision might not be the personal decision, the best personal decision for yourself. Like, I have a couple of friends that own great assets, and honestly, if we were looking at just numbers, they probably should help keep it. But they're selling it because it's not what they want to do. That's not their passion. That's not their comfort level. That's not their interest. So they're getting out. And you know what? I I honestly think that's the best decision for them. So when you're trying to figure out all of this, if you find a good mentor or a good coach or a good friend that understands it, remember, you don't want their spin. Like, I'll buy 12 properties. No problem. But that doesn't mean that I would advocate the next person to do it if they're not interested in it. So you want to do what makes you comfortable on your situation and speak to someone that will evaluate everything in your lenses, not theirs. Great point you made on the mentor. By the way, when you got first started, did you have a mentor? <laughs> Myself, no. <laughs> you just taught your own stuff. Makes perfect sense. All right. Um, we're getting to the final questions. I just wanted to go ahead and also ask, what are some best investments? Well, wait, let's back up a second. But today, I have lots of mentors, and that's what's made me successful. And they're not mentors like coaches that you pay for. They're friends that have specialized in different sections, and we can all come together and chat. So, yes, you really do need to join a community that makes sense and advocates and thinks the same way you can so that you guys can work together and overcome issues. I mean, just today alone, I was in part of a forum and I called a friend and was like, I can't believe this. Can you walk me through? Or, you know, in, in January, I handled the same issue over and over again, but a tenant cr trashed my house. And I went redhead mode. And she's like, okay, have you done this? Have you done this? Have you done this? And, of course, I knew how to do all of that. But having someone put themselves in your shoes and walk you through it, you need that. So while I didn't in the beginning, I do now. And that's made me super successful. So find your, your clan, your neighborhood, your group, whatever you want to call them. And, and that's who you guys should be cheering each other on. Giving each other feedback to improve from one another. And especially yep. sometimes times like that is just that you usually know what to do, but it's just that when the other person is there, clarifies it, and they understand they're in your shoes just like you said it. So they can help you to walk through that step so you won't be alone and push you forward. And the reality is when you're in the fire, you probably can't remember the steps to rescuing exactly. yourself. Exactly. Yep. That's always true. Okay. Um, I did want to go ahead and ask you, what are some good investment books that you recommend? You did state you have your own book, so we'll go ahead and put that in there as well, too, if you want to talk about that. Sure. Um, so I obviously wrote a book on leases called the Everything Lease Addendums that goes through all of my stuff um, that I put in my um, lease. But I also highly, highly recommend the books um, written on Bigger Pockets by Brandon Turner on NOLA. I mean, NOLA has pretty much every book on everything. They're my favorite. So any of those two that are very much like how-to-dos 
are probably really good for you because they 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 talk about all the stuff that they overcome and they put stories behind it. Because when you're a new landlord and your tenant is like, "What? Why do I have to do X, Y, and Z?" Now you can go, "Well, because you want to be I have to be able to charge you because it you're not allowed to throw a fish bones down the disposal." Makes sense. Okay. Absolutely. All right. Um, I did want to go ahead and say the last one, which was basically, imagine you woke up tomorrow morning in a brand new world. You still have all the experience and knowledge you currently have. Your food and shelter is taken care of, but all you have is $1,000. How would you start your investing journey in the next six months? That's going to take you a minute, so take your time. No worries. No worries. Actually, I think the thing to, to do, like what I did, when because this was kind of how I started, minus all the knowledge in the world, was found a job in what I wanted to emulate, right? It's a job in real estate. I fell into it, but I got to learn all of the stuff, and then the salary they provided me was the salary that I got to invest by buying my personal home, and then I got to work my way up. So find a way to enter what your career is with as little money and as much assets as you can. And then I was able to take all of that experience, which you're saying I already have, but I was able to take that knowledge in this new world with the new mortgage laws and then capture on that to keep going. Okay, perfect. Great. You know, it's funny that you say that because when I first started off, I was a financial analyst too. So, but for basically trading side for the stocks, and then I used all of those funds that I would save up while working. I started writing algorithms for different stocks and different stuff. So, I love your point of view on that because that's exactly similar to what I did. And I think that's that's the key, you know. Um, we took our, I took my knowledge that I learned from my W-2 salary, and the knowledge and the money was what I then reinvested. Yep, yep. Okay, makes sense. Um, I did go ahead and notate that here as well. Uh, anything else that you wanted to go ahead and let the listeners know? Any other tips that you would recommend? You know, don't give up. Owning and participating in real estate is like... A roller coaster. There are ups and there's downs moments. But at the end of the day, if you hold on, that's when the reward is there. When you get off and when you chat and when you laugh with your friends. And that's like when you sell the property in 30 years and someone else paid off the entire property for you. So just remember that this is a long-term, not a short-term hold. Perfect. Elizabeth, thank you very much for your time. I really do appreciate it. What's the best way for the listeners to contact you? You can find me at ReluctantLandlord.net or at ReluctantLandlord um, page on Facebook, Facebook page. Perfect. And I'll definitely go ahead and put that on the show notes, which will be investmoneyschool.com slash IFB15. Perfect. Elizabeth, thank you very much for your time again and enjoy the rest of the day. 
and I wish you best of luck in real estate. Thank you. Thanks you for having me. the end of this episode for Investing for Beginners podcast. There are more episodes coming with real investing insights and super actionable techniques with no hype. Stay updated with each new release by subscribing to the podcast. We would love it if you would leave a rating and review. Say hello on Facebook and Twitter at AskVCan. All show notes will be available. We will catch you next time. And remember, you don't need to be a genius to invest like one.